G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan a hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. And I am still suffering from bug bites. Still? Bug bites. Oh my God, do you want to see my foot? <laughs> If I could get my foot up there, you look at them all. Oh. I've still got the um fucking leech bots. Leech I, got home, bots. I, I, I got home and I like I was taking my shirt off to go for a shower and the missus was like, What the fuck is that? I was like, <laughs> it's like Oh, it's a leech. Yeah, <laughs> leech bot. Yeah, I've got I've got one I've got one there. Oh. Yeah, I've got one there and I got one on my back. And I've got one who's the other one on on leg, my big uh, bunch of skirts you guys are. <laughs> Like, uh, I tell you what. The boys, the bow hunters, they came back oh, and um, he said he was fighting leeches off all day. You could see yeah. them. Yep. You can see them little buggers just crawl, oh, they crawl, they crawl up your boots. Yeah. And I've got one climbing up my leg and he's like this big and he's in like that, that like yeah. upside down U shape. Yeah. He's, 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 up. he's a little, he's a little, he's searching for you. I, tell you yeah, what, I, had, I can I, feel I, the heat here somewhere or yeah. down here somewhere. I took a set of my pair of um, hunter wellies from the UK that I used to hunt in all the time. Best thing I could have worn the whole week because those things are so long and like, they don't climb up. And I had my um, hunting pants around them, nice and tight. They couldn't get through. I didn't get bitten after that. They were the best thing. And my feet just, didn't get wet. You got to just spray shit on your boots, mate. Just like, and it, it, the thing is about leeches is they're incredibly, you know, weak. Yeah. So, and, oh, and, and nothing. I had one climbing up my hand. <laughs> you know, right, and I went, and, I went and grabbed one, and it turned around and bit my finger. So I grabbed right. it with the other hand, it turned around and bit the other finger, and I was trying to squash it. it just kept biting me everywhere. It, it, the thing that, was like anything, a predator. Anything kills them. Anything kills them. So you know. Oh, well, apparently I couldn't kill him. Yeah. Anyway, fed it to the fire. That was the end of him. That's it. That's right. All right. Well, enough preamble. So uh, we'll we'll kick in um, to another hunters campfire episode and. Um, Tonight, people will see that it's just the three of us. Take these off. Um, we haven't invited a guest along with us because we're getting heaps of feedback and um, lots of people asking us to do more, uh, more educational-based um, podcasts. We we're just talking about gear that we uses, use, uses, gear that we use, calibers we choose, rifles, all of that sort of stuff. So people are getting a lot out of that. Um, I guess especially because people were planning for the rut and the raw, which is near past us now, but. Um, there's still a lot of people heading out in the bush. So anyway, this um, this episode, we're really going to dedicate to calibers um, and, you know, our, our choices and why you would choose different things. And I guess the general basics of calibers, since we've got one or two experts in the room, uh, it's not going to be me. I don't know much about them at all. So at least these two fellas, um, that's enough of my, my pre-ramble. Um, uh, good evening, fellas. How are you going? Very well. Thank you, sir. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Ian. We're just uh, having a, a bit of a chat about uh, freaking leech bites. Uh, <laughs> John, John and I have just come back from uh, from a state for us trip to Nundal, which was great. Well, uh, Mark manned the fort and kept the socials humming, which was great to see. So thanks for all of those efforts. 
Um, but uh, Jono, your oh, it's not your first trip to Nundal, but a uh, bit of a, a bit of a different experience this time with only a, a short couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. So this was my third trip. Um, the last trip I went was, I think, four years ago, 2018, um, and it was very it was very eye opening to see how the forest had changed. So mm. four four years ago, um, there were certain spots that I went to, and now you go there and there's no trees; they're all gone. So it just shows you how the forest is continually evolving. Um, it's continually changing. Trees are grown, trees have been cut down. And you've really got to, you know, adapt to what's going on on the ground at the time. Um, and yeah, it was it was a different trip. We camped in a different place. It was a different lot of, you know, different bunch of guys. It was a much shorter trip, so I had didn't have much time to to do much scouting. It was really go to a spot, check it out. Is there sign? No, move on to the next sign. You know, didn't have time to to really um, explore some of the areas. I just had to pick an area that I thought was going to work. And that was based off, you know, some of my previous um, scouting that I had done and only to get there and there was no trees. So um, it really shows that, you know, the 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 e-scouting, pre-scouting work is really important when visiting state forests because it's continually evolving. Um, and also using, you know, some of the advice and knowledge that some of the other guys who've been on the ground a few days before me um, had, like yourself, you said, I went down here, there was no sign, don't bother going there. So I kind of took that on board and and sort of tailored my opportunities or my 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 addings accordingly. But it was mm. a good trip. It was an awesome trip. Much shorter than I'd normally do, which I kind of regret. I got the tail end of the trip, which was very wet and cold and miserable, but made the most of it and really hunted hard and saw some animals. Saw a pig, Mark. You would have loved it. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? I thought of you because in previous conversations we've had, you've always said, I think it was one of your first trips to to, to Nundal where you're driving up Sleeman's Road and you saw a pig and you shot a pig. I was driving up Sleeman's Road and I saw a pig. Didn't shoot the pig, unfortunately, but I did think of you at the time. Um, and then, of course, I got the uh, the buck running across the road on the last morning just as I'm heading back to camp, um, finishing up for the, for the entire trip. A young buck runs across the road and didn't have an opportunity on him, unfortunately, but still a very enjoyable trip. Met some good guys, had a, you know some good chats around the campfire, ate some good food. Yeah, it was really, really good. Had a great coffee. Had an amazing coffee made by Ian over there. Oh, yeah, sensational bush coffee. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I actually told my wife about that, and we're I'm going to buy one of them coffee frothers and the Wakako coffee thing. There we yeah. go. All right, yep. see, look, it'll be Hunter's Campfire branded Wakako coffees coming. There you go. There we go. That's a that's a new line adventure. of bush stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and Mark, you um, we've had some video go up recently of the Red Deer stuff. So you've had a pretty successful time. Whether you're taking the stag of a lifetime or not, you've been in amongst the action. So. Give us a bit of a rundown on that. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll talk about it, I think, in another podcast. We'll really dive into the raw and the rut. But, but for me, uh, it was a very productive um, raw this year. I went to the little block in the Brisbane Valley. The peak for me was the 31st of March. Uh, I, I don't think I've actually had a single day that's been that filled with deer ever it was just they were every in the end you know it's just kind of going is there another deer in front of me is there another deer in front and it was like that um in the morning went very quiet in the afternoon um and that's because i think someone was about who probably shouldn't have been about on a on a quad bike but that's a that's the way it goes though two weeks later exactly two weeks later because i went away with the family uh, in between out to lightning ridge when we came when i came back two weeks later all over 
So it was really, Amazing, really, huh? really small, uh, small window. And I happened just to luck it. I think I happened to be on there that first day. Yeah, the, we released the video. I think, I think it was nine stags in the, in all told, probably more, um, at least five on video. Uh, and uh, I made it. It was funny. I was talking to uh, uh, a guy this, this today about it. In that first like half an hour, I decided I wasn't going to shoot anything that day. I thought, no, this this is a day for the camera and to actually see everything, rather than than shoot something just after first light and and not see the rest of the the rest of the property and see all the deer. And uh, though when I went back the second time, I was on a, a different different approach. The raw was over. I noticed um, that the bachelors who were, didn't make it or possibly would never make it were were rafted up together and i took one i took a really scrappy little double three which um a lot of people might call a cold deer it's um and uh so i got something but i didn't get that uh i didn't get one for the wall this year though strangely enough or as luck would have it there's a young my son one of his mates lives in our street and he's very interested in what we do mm. as a family and the fact that he comes over and shoots his bow here in our in our little archery range, and our little archery range is decorated with deer and goat skulls, he's very keen on them. So I've said I'll, he can have the double three, so he's going to get the little double three for his wall. His parents seem to be okay with it, so he's getting the double three. So there is a trophy there after all. But it was a yeah. it was a really a fundamentally a, a, a you know one of those one of those day of days type hunting things for me. So yeah. And I was glad yeah. I could get on video too. Yeah, I guess um, I was hunting not far from you, um, up in the Brisbane Valley as well, just a you know twenty or thirty k's up the road, I guess. Um, I was there late, sort of towards the end of that second week where you said there was not much happening, and up where I was, it was very quiet as well. So I think mm. I missed the peak of the, the the raw, unfortunately. So last year I hunted at the end of March, that that around I think I think it was actually the thirtieth of March that I actually shot my stag last year went two weeks later this year and it was dead it was really mm -hmm. really quiet had a few stags roaring but it was quiet so i think it shows you that, that that was the peak time for the raw this year um but you can't call it it could have been later it could have been earlier you just never know um i know the guys up where i was shooting got some good stags before me after me but you just can't call it and there is a rumor that there's a double 10 running around near somerset and I supposedly there is actually a photo of it. Supposedly, so I'm We're still I, waiting to see that. I'm still oh, I'm still waiting to see it too. But um, um, one of our one of our um, commenters uh, would call that a twenty point. Yes, twenty pointer. Yeah. And I, I've also been told it doesn't have a doesn't have a collar around its neck, so it's not someone's pet. <laughs> no, it's, very not, good. it's not. It's not. You know, it's not Bambi or something like that, or yeah, or yeah. Bobo. Bobo the stag. No, it's is there a photo? Of, is there a photo of the fence in the background when they, when it was no, taken? No, well, look, uh, it, it's on private land, so there will be a fence, but it's not like a high fence. It's a guy's, you know, one okay. of all that's in his backyard. So yeah, I'm chasing that up because I want to get, I want to get it, I want to lay eyes on it first. So that's that. So hmm. well, before we get into calibers, um, I'll just go back to Nundle for a sec. The um, the camp we had, we'll deep dive into it as well, and we'll talk a bit more about it. But it was awesome to have so many of our, well, not so many, but a number of our listeners uh, from around the country show up and and share the camp with us. Um, it was originally organised as a club 
uh, trip, but we had a lot of interest, so we just kept inviting people along. We had you know people come from South Australia, which is a hell of a haul to come up yeah, to yeah, yeah. Uh, to the Tamworth region. So uh, good on Pat for doing that, and um, all the best for his ventures. Um, we had people coming up from Sydney. Obviously, there are a bunch of us from um, there were some from Brisbane, some from the Gold Coast. So lots of travel time, but such a good um, time in camp. And um, yeah, look forward to sharing a lot of that information um, as we go. Uh, we saw lots of animals. Everyone saw animals, but they were harder to find uh, than years gone past. Um, I think a lot of that is still recovery from the drought and the bushfires and things like that. But everyone saw animals and it was really awesome to see some young hunters come into camp. I say young, new hunters come into camp that um, their first experience on deer was with a bow. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be tough going for you guys. Anyway, a little bit of instruction, a little bit of know-how around uh, what we're looking for, what a scrape is, what a rub is, etc. Go out on day one, find that something, you know, find that scrape. Um, mark where it is, walk along the contour, find its second one, find its third one, cut your way into a track, you know, cut a track in so you're nice and quiet getting there and then just go and sit over it. One of the boys saw, he sat over the scrape with his bow for seven days in a row. Every morning he was up at up three in the morning Jeez. and he was down there, down there before first light and he sat over that scrape, morning session, afternoon session. He saw seven deer come to the scrape, all 10 metres outside of his bow range. But he saw seven deer, bucks, spikers, does and fawns. Just unbelievable for a new hunter to get that close. And there's lots more of those stories. So it's, um, it was a really cool time. So I'm glad people would come. And it's uh, it's great that the community is sort of growing around that. Yeah, it is. It, it sounded, I, I didn't get there, obviously, but it sounded like you guys actually had a deer camp, which is, um, is, is the yeah. aim, isn't it? We want to have the deer camp. Well, the guys hunted hard. We socialised. We sat around the campfire. Yes, it was cold. It was wet. We all congregated in Ian's um, Ian's annex of his of his camper trailer around the fire, keeping warm and dry. But everyone was in good spirits. Everyone was getting up early, going hunting, putting in the effort. Dave sat around that on that scrape seven days in a row. Um, yeah, it was an awesome time. I'm glad I went, even though I only was only there for a few days. I'm so glad I went. It was well worth the journey. Mm. Excellent. Okay. To transition to calibers so there was a, a comment made or a couple of comments made now that um or questions about calibers how do you select your caliber for what you're doing if you're a new hunter what caliber should you be looking at should you be borrowing before you buy all of those sorts of things so i'll i'll, I'll lead the conversation because i don't have a lot of input to give uh, because I've got my one or two calibers and that's about it. Uh, but you guys have got a lot of knowledge around this, so it'd be great to hear your experience as to where you start, where you go based on the game, how you select, all of that. Um, who would like to lead off? Oh, look, I'll I'll start. So um, I don't have many rifles. I have a few rifles. I have a few favorite calibers. Um, my go-to caliber is the 308. I've had uh, one, two. I'm on my third 308 at the moment. Um, I started. It was the first. It was actually the first rifle I ever purchased for myself. Was a 308. Why did I do that? It's a 30 caliber. Um, you can shoot a variety of game size. That was bought in South Africa. Um, so. I bought that because I could shoot anything from a small little mountain reedbuck or a darker all the way up to a kudu or, um, you know, and even an eland is maybe a little bit small, but I've shot an eland with my 308. 
and that was it. That 30 caliber, it, it it provided me with a an opportunity to use different bullet ranges depend or different bullet weights depending on what I was going to shoot. Um, so it's just the versatility. I find it a very versatile rain, uh, round. Um, I bought one in the UK. I actually bought a seven mil, uh, a seven by fifty seven um, first, and I struggled what for is, ammunition. What, is, what does that mean to the uneducated? You've gone from three oh eight to seven by fifty seven, two different number ranges in a caliber. Okay. So yeah, do you want to go for it? You go for it. So seven by fifty seven is. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, 275. Hmm. Absolutely so correct. one is using uh, English Imperial, which is the inch. Hmm. One is using the European mills. Okay. So if you want an example, have 308 win 7.62. Now, not exactly. There, you know, you can get the arm wrestle mm -hmm. about exactly. But, you know, like, I think, I think a, a true what 308 win is a 7.62 by 51. I think that's correct. Absolutely, that's it. So, yep. but and then so you've got a so what you're doing there is you're if you kind of get back to origins, your European calibers are generally expressed in mils, your uh, English and then American and then Aussie cows are generally expressed in inches. It's, or points of an inch, obviously, and that's that's so that's a so things like seven by fifty sevens or the three the two seven five version of it are true game calibers. They're the, the game calibers like um, the 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 nine point three by sixty two. These are true European game calibers that became popular as Europeans went into Africa. So. Uh, you know, the parts of Africa that were, you know, were colonised by Europeans tend to talk in mils. The ones that were colonised by the Brits tend to talk in points of inches. Okay. So to bring that back to where you were, I feel like I need a ruler to follow along. Yeah. Um, you the, the thing about to remember about, sorry, mate, the thing to remember about right. calibers is, um, and this this was the best best advice I've ever understood about calibers is, they weren't all invented in the same factory by the same person. At yes. the same time. At the Correct. same time. So yeah. there is all sorts of, <laughs> you know, it's like someone said, hey, look, you guys look at it this way, but we're going to look at it this way. Mm. And, you know. Well, so Mark, you just have to look at the 3006, one of your calibers. That's a 30 cal, and it was invented in 1906. So they called it the 3006. So it just shows you that it doesn't always... You know, it's not always about millimeters and inches. Yes, they brought the 30 cal part into it, but they also decided to put an 06 on the end, and it's one of the world's most popular calibers. That's so, right. Yeah. And then the 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 larger the number doesn't necessarily mean the larger the or the bullet itself, because a 308 is smaller than a, well, a point 308 is smaller than a point two seven zero or point or a two seventy, right? No, no, bigger in width. But it's no. in full shell casing. The two seventies much. Oh better. no, no, sorry, oh, yeah. sorry, so no, sorry, ca yeah, casing. Yep. Yes, true. Because then you <laughs> now you're getting into short, long action, man. Now, now well, this is really, this... now we're getting really scary. Well, this so, is when I first started talk. When I first started talking about calibers, three oh eight, great all round um, caliber. It's been around a long time. People will argue that more things have been shot with a three oh eight. Other people will argue it's something else, but that's all right. Leave that statement as it is. Um, 
but the round is so common the round is also cheaper like it's it's cheap to buy because it's it's manufactured in, in bulk compared to some of these other rounds right so if i was a new hunter coming into the sport 308 is still a worthy round to be having a look at for the deer species yeah, the pigs would, the goats and everything else that we, we tend to hunt i would say it's a popular caliber which makes it more readily available which makes it easier to get hold of and therefore generally cheaper and um, there's there's other things that play there too it's a short action caliber yep so it's what does that for, mean what so, does that okay mean? so you think about your your rifle action now bolt action by the way okay the longer the throw of the bolt that refers to a long action the shorter the throw so the shorter the projectile in total length is reflects the action so, so at 30 what point does it become long or short oh god i don't know what point where it fades out yeah. so a 3006 and a 270 are long actions if i remember yep. correctly whereas a 308 is a regarded as a short action now the benefit of that and then you get into magnum actions like the 375 H&H Magnum action. From a manufacturing point of view, short actions require less metal. So it's it's cheaper to make a 308 than it is technically to make a 270, though Tika this... kind of figured out a way around that by modulization. But from a from a um from a left if you're a lefty you kind of know this stuff because once upon a time it was nearly impossible to buy uh, left-hand ammunition. Left-hand, <laughs> left-hand actions. <laughs> um, uh, left-hand actions spins so. out of the way. Spins out of the way. Um, buy left-hand actions in either short. So a manufacturer might say, "Yeah, we sell left-hand rifles, but we only sell them in short action, or we only sell them in this one action." So you know, you, you were kind of, you couldn't get a thirty-eight-six, but you could get a three-zero-eight. What are other examples of short-action calibers? Two four threes. Two four three. So basically, about the smaller anything, calibers. Anything that's a derivative of the three hundred eight is basically Generally, or yeah. is, is a so, short action. Anything that's a derivative of the two seventy and the three hundred six are long actions. And then you get into things like um, you get into the three seven five, which is regarded as the magnum actions at magnum length actions. But then smart people like Ruger created the three seven five Ruger, which is a 375 cal but it's on a standard long action so they and that's how they were able to save money they didn't again they figured out how to have the 375 um, and it's a lot to do with the way that they that you know not the uh, sorry the the casing design and the shoulder length and all that casing and stuff like that so they were able to get close to 375 h and h magnum performance in a shorter action so they could build that rifle cheaper because there's basically less metal in it. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's you know, therefore important to note that some calibers are based off others. Yes. So, for instance, the 308 and the 243 use the same case. The 243 is just a neck down 308. The 270 is just a neck down 306 case. So All the way up, it's, yeah. That's right. Uh, the 270 is neck down from the 306, yep. correct? Yeah. So um, it just shows you how over time cartridges cartridges have to, have been have evolved and developed based on other ones. So they wanted to take yep. a, um, I think a 270 is a 6.5 millimeter um, projectile. 
So they took the, the 306 case, which is shooting a 7.62, and necked that down, or 30 cal, necked that down to take a, a, a smaller bullet weight, but keeping the same cartridge size. So therefore, a 270 shoots fast, shoots flat, awesome cartridge, kicks kicks pretty hard because it's got that that, 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 that basically the, the, the charge capacity of a 306, basically. So um, I've got a 308 literally right there, which I don't know if you can see I'm that. I'm going to ask so, you if you had... a if you had a round, this is the, probably the first time I'm going to do this and say <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stuff you just said there that if you didn't know anything about calibers, which is what this podcast is designed for, right. I have no idea what you've just said. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and that that's true because this is this. What the is necking the, down? The and trouble with extra, extra, extra. Right? Yeah. The trouble with cal- the caliber um, conversations. And one of the reasons as a writer I tend not to write about calibers is this is the world's largest and deepest and darkest rabbit hole. <laughs> okay. Okay. You think so, you think Area 51 and the Illuminati <laughs> or something, mate? Yeah, they got this right. You know, because the the 3006 was based on the 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 um 3003, which was based on something else, which is based on something. And that's it. What we're talking about, we're talking about the progression of something. From basically the mid eighteen hundred mid eighteen hundreds when they started to put bullets in cases. Yeah. Okay. Before that, breech, you know, muzzle loader. Muzzle, no muzzle loaders. Yeah. The day the day that they invented the cartridge, all of this changed again, and that's and that's what we're kind of dealing with here. We're dealing with, and if you think about that from a point of view, like there wasn't. It wasn't like, uh, you know, um, Tesla. There wasn't one factory that said, hey, we've invented this thing and we're going to, you know, populate the world. These things happened pretty much at the same time over all different places and all different ideas about how to get these things. And so, and, and you know, and away we went. And even what we understand of it as a cartridge today with the Cinefire primer and all that kind of thing, there was a development to get there from, you know, all, there was a long chain of events to get to there okay so it can be very very confusing let me ask you some layman's questions then sure. and i feel like i'm going to rip this podcast apart and put it in a different order but i did like the callback that you've just created which is this is darker than the illuminati rabbit hole so <laughs> it is. It is. here is my here is my layman's term from a layman rifle owner right sure um, typically, as a as a kid progressing up through the calibers, becoming a little small game hunter and moving up, this is different to the world that you came in, Mark, because you didn't start there; you went the other mm. way around. But the majority of us, I'll use me as an example, got his first slug gun. Yep. Right, and off we went with little pellets, and I was bashing birds that weren't supposed to be there because whatever, and rabbits in the paddock, and that's fine. You progress up to a twenty-two. Now, twenty-two is a room fire. Mm-hmm. Does someone want to explain that versus the centerfire? Oh, okay, sure. Do you want to do rimfire versus centerfire? Or is that self-explanatory? No, no. Well, it, but the, and don't forget, there's there's about that's the yeah, yeah. Da, 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 then you get pinfire. So do you want to do rimfire? <laughs> yeah, look. So rimfire basically means that so when on on a, and it's generally on the twenty two, much smaller calibers. So the base of the cartridge, um, when the the, the firing pin. It strikes the rim of the cartridge. It it ignites the primer. So the primer is is basically embedded in the bottom of the cartridge. So the case, the the, the 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 brass shell, and it actually comes as a liquid. They pour it into the bottom, 
and it solidifies and the, the it, it gets a strike on the edge of that of that the rim of that cartridge and it fires the it ignites the powder and it, and fires the projectile okay versus um, a center fire which is a a strike in the center the correct so the there's a there's a sense there's a sensor primer which sits in the bottom of the cartridge and that creates that small small little spark goes through the the i don't know what the, the, the term is for that little flash hole and ignites the powder so you have a firing pin on a center fire um which is the center of that primer hopefully um or you have um, on a rim fire where it hits the edge of the rim and where that that the entire primer is sitting Generally, okay. I found it in smaller cartridges. And you found that a rim fire, if you sit when you look at it, it's like a crease yeah. as opposed yeah. to a dot. Yeah. So when you look at center fire, you're talking basically projectile, propellant, and primer in a case in a, in a case to bring it all together. Yeah. Okay. Then people moved to the Hornet, 22 Hornet. What was the difference between a 22 and a 22 Hornet? Just more grunt. Just more grunt, more powder. Longer cartridges, more powder. The thing about rimfire is uh, the, the, okay, so the rimfire case <laughs> has to be softer. Oh, yeah. So the, the, that you can compress it, you know, and out it goes. So the limiting factor of that is you can't, you know, and the way propellant works, you want to be able to encase, you want to hold it on as long as you can because that makes the, the bang better. So the, the inherent problem with rimfire is the case is softer. So uh -huh. its pressure and its ability to handle pressure are limited by the fact that you've got to have a case that you can dent. Right, but they're much, much cheaper to manufacture, which is why uh, you get them by the hundreds and thousands rather than... Yeah, well, they've got one less component in them for a start, and they're and smaller, and, they're, and, really and, smaller. And, and and that's why when you can pick up a rimfire case, you can kind of, you know, you can crush it at your fingers. Yeah, but you can't do that with even like a two to three or something like that. So that's they're not dealing thing. with the same pressures. So yeah, they don't that's have right. to be as as, so, as large as as thick. So yeah. in, inherently, you can only go so far with a rimfire until you 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 have you get to the balance point where your case pressure. Is 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 um sacrificed for the fact that you've got to be able to dent the case. Okay, so if I've got a twenty-two and I'm a young hunter or a new hunter, and there's been some people that have been listening that have, have you know, they're they're fifty and sixty year old have taken up hunting, they've started with a twenty-two. What can I chase with that? Okay, so um, if you watch what's that one with uh, Mark Wilborg, the shooter. You can kill anything with a twenty-two, supposedly. Um, yeah, and, and, and I believe, and I believe, the biggest bears ever killed in ever killed was by a twenty-two. But anyway, twenty-two inherently is you know your rabbit, fox, that kind of, uh, and bird. I mean, and and in the United States, squirrel and things like that. So it's a small, it's a small game. It's very much small game rifle. Um, you can. Uh, I've I've been told by people who've done all sorts of magical things with 22s, um, and good luck to them, and away you go. But for 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 the for the mere mortals around us, your rabbit, your hares, your foxes, that um, and that kind of game at that size is very very well suited for a 22 up to you know up to 100 150 yards, depending on what kind of ammo, depending on on your skill set and things like that. Yeah, personally, I've used 22s for 
shooting at the range. I find it good practice because there's no re recoil. It's cheap to shoot. Um, I've shot tons of rabbits with my 22. If I was just using a standard 22, I'd be very hesitant to shoot a fox. I think if I was using, um, you know, maybe a 22 Hornet, etc. Maybe yes, then I would. And it also depends on the on on the, the cartridge as well. Yeah. Just your standard target 22 round, I wouldn't shoot a fox with. I think it's just going to bounce off as if you try and shoot him in the head. Um, but I've certainly shot hundreds of rabbits with a 22. I think it's it's awesome shooting and you get a good feed at the end of it. So um, shoot them in the head, there's no meat damage um, and you've got a great feed. So I think a 22 is awesome caliber to start with. I've got one, I've got a, an old German Krico that I use. Um, it's a fantastic little rifle. Um, when I go to the range to check my my hunting rifle, I'll shoot more rounds than I, with the 22 than I do with anything else because it's awesome to shoot. It's great fun. There's no recoil and it's cheap to shoot. But you can get um, deadly accurate, can't you? Oh, yes. sense, because yeah, there's just no, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if this statement is accurate or not, but the next one up is a fairly modern cartridge, isn't it? The 17 HMR? Yeah. It, it came back on the scene or it came onto the scene not that long ago. There was a, there was something else. There was a, was it 17 REM? There was there was another seventeen, but yeah, the the, the HMR and their and popular the popular calibers, the seventeen HMR has made a resurgence. It's by the number 0.17, not 0.22, so it's smaller than the twenty. Yeah, air rifle pellet, but it's a centerfire round, isn't it? It's an air rifle pellet if you think about it. One seven seven. Well, we had 5, 0.5 air rifle. Well, a daisy is usually one one seven seven. Is the, the good old daisies that I used to shoot. So yeah, that's right. Most air rifles were one 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 seven sevens. That was the mm. standard. And yeah, then with the little ones and the big ones. Yeah. And there was a there was a the there was twenty two air rifle, um, um or, or point two twos. Um, they were the heavier. Um, but yeah, most air rifles were one seven seven. So yeah, yeah, you those seventeens. They're just a hyper. I suppose a hyper velocity. Um. You're pushing a very small round at a very high speed, yep. and um, so, I've I've hunted rabbit with someone shooting one of those, and they're pretty good medicine on on small game. So I owned a one seven HMR um, when I lived in the UK. I bought one. Um, it's actually a rimfire. Um, oh, the rimfire. It's a rimfire. Oh, I thought it was a cinephile. Yeah. No, it's a rimfire. Um, it's the Hornaday Magnum Rimfire is actually where the HMR comes from. Um, it is a deadly accurate round. I was shooting mine at 100 yards and getting an awesome grouping on it. It makes a huge crack. It's not like your standard 22. I actually mm. had a, had a uh, moderator on mine, and even then it gave out a, a loud crack. Um, deadly on – I would use absolutely use that on foxes. A lot of the guys use them on foxes. I use mine shooting foxes, using shooting rabbits. Um, I even know someone who shot a deer with one in the head. It wasn't supposed to, but he did. Um, but it it dropped it on the spot. That's a dead little round. Um, it it doesn't recoil or recoils very very little. Um, I would highly recommend one um, as a step up from from a twenty two, um, especially if you're looking to shoot a little bit further. But it's a it's a beautiful little round. I think. You struggle for for actually getting ammunition in this country. Um, I think there's a bit of a shortage. It's not that. Uh, uh, th this was a few years ago. So I was looking at getting one, but um, I was told that you would struggle to get ammunition for it back then. Um, so, but what an awesome little round. Mm. Right. Okay. So moving up from that 
in in my world would be uh to the two to three yep there's I'm missing anything in, in the middle there that we should think about there is a thing called a 204 in there which is one of those super high velocity little 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 you know flying spear rounds but for most people the next jump up is the 2d3 and i think super the 2d3 is yeah. is i think it's the most popular caliber in the country uh, or very close to yeah so it's also the military 5.56 isn't it well, yeah it's, or, it's, or again to the yeah nearly. it's more to do with the casing um in in the fact that uh for want of a better description and i'm sure someone will, will will currently be you know laying on the floor you know doing the homer spinning around as i say this but basically the 2d3 rem is was a civilian design primarily to come out of a bolt rifle 556 and so on were magazine fed so they're slightly different slightly different um and there's actually now though you can get rifles that'll actually tell you that they can quite comfortably shoot both rounds. Um, and I believe in the States, a lot of the AR platforms, you know, they'll say it'll shoot both. So, you know, because that there was some, some slight, there is a slight variation between the two, okay. but it's only slight. So 223 then is our entry point almost yes. for the center fire. And look, I w I'm going to kind of break tradition here, and, and I, I reckon if you're an adult, I would start on a 223. If I was starting on a rifle, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of not that big a fan of the idea of starting on something and working your way up, only because when I was 18, they let me drive a real car, not a bumper car, you know, and they kind of said, here you go, son, you've got your license you get to play with the real cars. So the, I kind of look at shooting that way for me. Mm. And that's, that's cause that's how I learned. I didn't, I didn't start with, I wanted a cowboy gun. I wanted to be a cowboy. So I bought a lever action, you know, sure. I handle that. Scared me a couple of times, but you know, you got used to it. But for, if you wanted to start somewhere as an adult, that is, I would highly and you didn't you know so you didn't want to just shoot rabbits you wanted something that was a little bit more you could take a little and do a little bit more i would i think a 2d3 is actually a really good place to start one it's got no real real if you're an adult and you weigh more than you know you, you know you you weigh 70 kilos plus there's no there's no real recoil in a 2d3 um, if you're at the range and you got earmuffs on there's no real um you know sound issues and they they're as cheap as chips and everyone makes them and there's there's a million different variants out there you know and you can buy cases of hundreds or thousands of rounds for yeah. much money so it's yeah. cheap as chips i know cleavers used to i don't know if they do anymore but they you know they had these specials where they would literally sell like you know a thousand rounds of 2d3 for you know next to nothing so it was it was like a 22 if you wanted to have something a bit more bit more bit more grunt and i actually when i got back into um shooting after a break i started with the 2d3 and we used to just shoot the barrels out of those things at the range on a sunday morning mm. um they were easy pieces they're easy pieces to shoot the rounds aren't big they'll kill you know they'll kill most things if you if you uh um for if you're a new hunter like you know the, no problem with goats 
Um, I know plenty of guys use them on pigs. I'm probably not a two to three pig person. I've shot pigs with two to three. I've killed pigs with two to three, but I think that's got a lot to do with the um, where where you are hunting and what kind of hunting you're doing. Um, and I think that's a big part of caliber selection. But a two to three is a good place to start. Okay. It's a, it's good a good for goats. Good yeah. for goats. If you're looking at um, some of the um, R license advice, yeah. um, you know, uh, it's still too small for deer, although yeah, right. a fellow doe is fairly soft as an animal, but the recommended caliber is 243, that's right. which 243. is the next one. Yeah. The next one we'll talk about. But, John, do you want to add? Yeah, so I'll, um, I think the 243 is the minimum caliber for shooting deer in New South Wales in the R license program. From it's it's, it's the fella. recommended caliber. Yeah. That's an important yeah. part with New South Wales. There is no minimum caliber. There is recommended calibers. In Victoria, okay. it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So from a for shooting deer, I would say you know I think I think a two four three is actually shot more deer than a three oh eight. If if <laughs> uh, in um, Australia probably yeah, and I think in the world, I think to be honest, the two four three is one of the is really really a poppy caliber. Um, I've yeah, I've heard of people shooting everything up to in Africa kudu, which I probably wouldn't recommend, but I know people have done and shot big kudu eland with uh, with the two four three. It's a bit small. I mean, there you've stepped up. So from on that two two three, you've got the five millimeter bullet. When you go to a two four three, you're actually stepping up to that six millimeter. So you're slightly going up slightly bigger in that bullet diameter. I would say a two four three or a two four three equivalent, and I say equivalent because there are the two four three has been around for probably 100 years if not more than that now and there's been some some newer developments from that being one being the seven mil weight so that's a um and I, I believe that's a 308 that's been necked down um, let's talk about that before you go any further then so it's good to now group right so we're at a 243 yeah. we're going to group a couple of modern cartridges around it what do you mean by necking it down i buy mine so in a box and yep. I put them in the rifle. What, what's the deal? Hold up that projectile casing, mate. So this is a 308 cartridge, and that is a 7.62 millimeter diameter. So if I was to take a 243, it uses the exact same cartridge length, but that neck size, so that diameter. Lift it up actually, again. I can't. I can't see it, mate. Yep. So so that's actually then neck down. To take a 6.5 millimeter bullet. Oh, you mean it's 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 made uh, the diameter so is shrunk. The diameter is shrunk. It's not a longer yeah, neck yeah, or a shorter yeah, yeah, neck. Yeah, squishing his neck. Yeah. Okay. So you're actually you're actually reducing the diameter of that neck to make okay. a slightly smaller, to take a slightly smaller diameter bullet. So that's where the 243 comes from. So it's actually a neck down 308. So it takes that diameter, makes it smaller. Um, and generally, what happens is is that, and if you're reloading, uh, and I'm not a reloading expert, but um the, the the brass will um extend out slightly you trim it down make it a little bit shorter and you've mm. got that that case that takes a, a 243 so that way you're getting the same amount of um capacity for um for powder but with a slightly smaller bullet so so more more speed uh yeah 243 is generally a bit smaller yeah it's generally pretty fast and pretty flatter yeah when the other thing you get is so what we're doing is we're getting close to what's traditionally called the quarter cows and probably the most popular quarter cow in australia was the 2506 and things like that so that's where we're getting in now so you're getting into that 6.5 or or you know the the 250s and the 243s um 
there was a thing called a oh well this still exists but it's very very uh it just don't see it much anymore it's the triple two mm. uh, which was a highly recommended rifle uh, caliber very popular in new zealand yeah um seiko brought out a a, a, a triple two that's regarded as you know one of the one of the best rifles around um so the triple two and a lot of people really like a triple two they reckon it's a little bit more uh, i think um it's got a little bit more flexibility from a reloading point of view than the two two three so that it's it's very popular but now we're getting into those quarter cows when you get you know there's six point and of course the most not most popular but the probably the most well known lately quarter tail is a, is a creedmoor the 6.5 6. what 5. is it and it's closely related to what? Caliber? Well, it's a quarter cow. It's a quarter cow. So it's 6.5. So it's a 25, as it were. So, and uh, to me, 6.5 is not Creedmoor. To me, 6.5 is sweet. 6.5 by 55. The sweet. It's back to where we were. Because <laughs> you right. just lost That's everyone. That's yeah. right. So we've gone to. We've gone from 2.3, right. which, which, which then had um, a, a more modern cartridge around it which was the seven mil oh eight so well that's that's a bit of a jump from the two yeah it's a little bit of a jump yeah it's a bit of a jump that's the 708 has really been a a good option between well the 708 allows you to have a 308 that hit get kicks a little bit closer to a 243 so it's a milder 308 and um, again, it's a pretty good starting rifle if you if you got some confidence. It's a lot a, of people shooting. Very. I, I I've never owned one, um, uh, because I, I just, just never have. But I've seen them in action, and I'm pretty impressed with them. And if someone said to me, "Hey, look, I want a, a hunting rifle to start with," and they were they had some confidence, I would seriously say. I'd consider the seven mil weight. It's a pretty good rifle. The only downside is, I think the ammo is a bit expensive. Yeah, mm. so that's so. Personally, um, I've been looking at getting a two four three, um, or a seven mil weight because I'm looking for something that is slightly smaller than the three weight that recoils a lot less. That can be in a lighter, smaller rifle. And the reason for that is my kids are getting older. Um, mm. I want something that I can. Um, when I when, when when they come out hunting with me, um, that they can shoot comfortably because it's a slightly the 308 does it, it's got a little bit of a kick to it. Um, why would I go one over the other? 243 is has been around for hundreds of or hundred years or whatever it's been around. It's a tried and tested. There's ammunition everywhere. The seven miller weight um, probably gives me a little bit more flexibility from a bullet bullet weight perspective, so I can load or i can buy a lighter bullet that doesn't kick as hard for the kids or for you know the wife if she wants to shoot it i can then load get a heavier bullet and shoot red deer with that if i wanted to something that i'm confident shooting with so it's that going back to that versatility where i don't think the 243 has the same amount of versatility um the 7 weight really comes into its own if you reload um because you it, it allows you to play with those bullet weights from a factory mm. ammunition point of view I don't think there's a hell of a lot of variety on the market. I, I stand to be corrected, but the 243, any gun shop in Australia is going to have 243, 308, 306. That's all, and 223, in my view. That's what they're going to have. Yeah. Um, but the, the, that's the, the 7 mm weight just gives you a bit more versatility in the round. So I can say, I'm going to shoot a 100, 
you know, 120 grand, 130 grand for the kids, and I can load that up to 150 if I wanted to um, for myself if I'm going to shoot red deer. So um, it's a very versatile round, um, and I think that'll probably be one of my my next calibers of choice to be the 708. Right. Okay. Then then it's worth worth talking briefly about uh, projectile size. Because each each of these calibers that we've spoken about, you can then go and purchase or load various different grain weight in the That's projectile true. itself. Mm -hmm. So, um, who wants to run that? The 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 kind of asterisk against that is the larger the caliber that you start with, the more variety or more 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 flexibility you have. So. You can't load a, um, or you can, but you don't very much load a two, four, three past one hundred grain. Mm -hmm. But you can load a three oh eight down to hundred and ten. I, I know you can buy one hundred and twenty, and I know Seiko do one hundred and thirty, right up to the two hundred. So you, you, once you get one of the benefits of going big areas, you can go smaller. Or you can go way bigger. One of the limitations of of starting smaller is you you kind of top out, and that's a really, for instance, um, with the two to three, you top out pretty quickly, you know. And what it is is the you can't stabilize the projectile, so you can't go over a certain size because what you you projectile loses stability, and and there's even things like. Um, you know, you can't actually even chamber the round if it's magazine fed because it's literally once the projectile makes it longer than the magazine itself. So you kind of get into those issues when you have you try to play around with um, projectile weight at smaller end. The bigger end, you get you get more flexibility because you've got more to play with. That's generally the rule. I mean, there's always you know um, there was always uh, you know. Um, exceptions to the rule but that's generally what happens so when we're looking at projectile weight that's really important and i think when it comes to caliber selection a couple of the really important things are not just you know the diameter of the caliber but what weights are available for it so for instance people go you know 270 world's best hunting rifle pretty hard to say it's not but the difference between a 270 and a 308 at 150 grains is negligible. And yeah, ballistically, you can get the tables out and can prove one goes faster than the other. But in terms of felt effect, you know, there's no deer that's going to go, oh, I just got hit by a 270, you know, <laughs> or, or that's a 308, a 3006. It's not going to be like that. We're, we're talking semantics. But what happens is when you get into the bigger projectiles, a three a 306 can carry a bigger projectile so to, i know uh woodley used to do at least a 200 if not a 220 i think in, 306 in is 36, up to 220 yeah. 220 so you can carry the bigger projectile as opposed to uh 270 so that's why some people say i'd rather have a 306 and a 270 because i can load it up past the operating range or the or the basic operating range of a 270. But I guess the the other thing when when taking into account bullet weight is the heavier the bullet, the the trajectory of that bullet is therefore mm. effective. That's right, of course. Yeah. So if you're if you're looking to hunt 
big open plains, you're not going to go and buy a 306 and load it with 220 grain bullets because the trajectory of that bullet, it's a heavier cartridge, a heavier bullet weight. It's going to be severely affected by that. You want a foster flatter shooter, maybe a 130 grain 270 um, is going to be the better way to go. So really, you've got to tailor the bullet weight to what you're hunting. Um, you can find a bit of a, you know, a bit of a sweet spot with some calibers and some bullet weights, which is kind of what I do. I, you know, I don't run, I don't have a, you know, a, a huge arsenal available to me. I've decided that the 308 is my caliber of choice. I've got some bullet weights. I know some people prefer the 130 grain, some people prefer the 180 grain. I've gone kind of towards the slightly heavier end because I'm shooting, um, you know, I'm shooting red deer, um, which is a bigger animal. So I prefer a slightly heavier bullet. Um, I'm shooting 165 grain in that, but I have shot as low as 150 and I've shot as heavy as 180 grain when I've shot Kudu. So um, I really, it, it depends on what I'm shooting. I found that 160, 165 to the 168, depending on the, the bullet manufacturer, um, is that sort of sweet spot for me and the way that I shoot and the animals that I shoot. But I know people who shoot red deer with 130 grain and they'll gladly take that out to 200, 250 meters. Um, I've shot a... I shot a Vile Raybuck uh, in South Africa, which is a very, very small mountainous animal. I shot that at 270 meters with 168 grain. Um, but that's because prior to that trip, you know, three or four days before, I was hunting a different animal um, in a completely different terrain. So I needed a bullet that I knew was shooting straight um, and accurately. And I settled on that 168 grain because I knew it was shooting well. So you've really got to think about what you're shooting, what sort of shooting you're doing. Um, I find, and this is me personally, 308, 165 grain, I can take red deer up in the Brisbane Valley. I can go down to New South Wales and take goats. Um, we had Mark and I had a pretty successful trip on the goats back in February in Severn. Down in Nundal, I'd gladly take a fellow or a pig with 165 grain 308 because I know that I know where that bullet is going. It's really understanding what that, you know, how that bullet is performing and where it's shooting at your different ranges. So I'll go to the range, I zero it at 100. I like mine shooting at a one and a half inch, uh, at, at inch high at 100. Um, and I know out to 300 um, that, I, that I can hit in the vitals quite comfortably. So mm. it's really a versatile range for me. And then you get in the course, you get from weight, you also get what, build, what makes that weight, mm. and that is bullet construction. So that's the next big thing. So, um, you know, the better the quality of the projectile because there's two parts of this equation one is what's it like when it's going through the air and if you're a target shooter that's what it matters because you then it's going to run through paper but for us what happens when it hits that's the big part so what happens to that projectile when it hits that's you know that's what hunting is all about so then we've not only got to consider weight as in 150 grain, 162 grain, and so on and so forth. Then we've got to also consider what bullet construction. So what happens after it hits, and that's where you think, you know, you, you vomit bullets and all sorts of different things. So you, it's that's also a big part of the selection is what happens. See, I generally only shoot 150 grain out of a 308 or a 3006. I I, I prefer a... a that slightly lighter shot myself than at 165 or 180, which are pretty common in those two calibers. But I try to want to sh shoot a um, do kind. Of, a, a, I like to choose the type of bullet that I like to shoot because of how I how it to me I know it's going to react 
within reason once it hits. So but I think, yeah, and what you said there around bullet construction is important is that you do get different construction types. So a bullet yeah. designed for vomiting is not, is not really a great bullet to go and shoot no. deal with because what is the bullet designed to do on a vomit? It's designed to cause maximal damage. You know, the bullet's going to, it's going to shatter, it's going to explode, it's going to try and, you know, render that animal, you know, it's going to try and stop it in its tracks basically. But mm. with a meat, an, meat animal, you're trying to recover as much meat as possible. You want to try and reduce that meat damage. So you want a, a really good bullet that's going to expand really, really well, try and maintain as much of its bullet weight as possible. Um, and, you know, you get you get different types. You can get monolithics, which is a solid piece of, of brass generally, um, which is designed to expand and stay in one form. You get bullets that contain lead, um, which some places are starting to to move away from. I personally am trying to move away from lead bullets. Why? Because I shot a deer last year and I hit the shoulder and the bullet kind of just lost a bit of its construction. I had a bit of lead bits between, you know, all over the shoulder. Um, and I was picking out of it while I was butchering it, butchering it. So, but that's a personal preference. There's no legal requirement at the moment for you to use um, non-lead bullets. Um, it's, it's a different story when you're shooting um, shooting ducks, so a lot of areas have banned lead shot, mm. for instance. So because still of, shots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, there's in some areas, there's a big push from bullet construction to move away from lead within those bullets. So what do you do? You're looking at your solid brass bullets, you know, your Barnes X's, etc. Those are a solid constructed brass bullet. Um, that, again, at the moment, that's personal preference. I personally um, am using, I'm trying to move away from, as I said, those lead bullets. I'm using uh, a polymer tipped, so it's maintaining um, that that sort of the shape of the bullet, um, and when that expands, um, you know that that polymer is is disintegrating. It's not a it's not a lead tip, um, and then you've got the brass expansion to really um, try and utilize, uh, try and expel as much of that energy as possible in the animal without falling to pieces and blowing up all over the places and getting you know bits of lead and and meat damage. You want to try and you know get that animal to 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 die as quickly as possible with as minimal suffering, but you want to try and recover as much meat as possible. So if you the shoulder and the bullet just goes you're going to end up with so much damage you've lost that shoulder possibly two shoulders the other thing is if you shoot a big animal and you've got a violent bullet if it hits big bone there's the possibility that you're not actually even going to reach the vitals so mm. you want to shoot a bullet that's that's going to um pen get that penetration um and, and get through those vitals to to kill that animal as quickly as possible that's right and look there this is a, a Bullet selection is a learning experience. Like, for instance, I've moved away from soft points on pigs because uh, I found that I'd get fragmentation. So uh, the pig would be killed, but I'd get fragmentation. So they, especially if you're hitting them up in the front where, you know, pigs, especially boars, are naturally very, very heavy boned up there and they've got a fighting pad. So there's there's a lot to get through. And what you do hit is very, very heavy. You know, you think about a, a, you know, an 80 to 100 kilo boar, that little front leg carries a hell of a lot of weight. It's a very dense bone. So hitting that, having the right projectile to take care of that is, you know, so I've moved away from soft points on pigs. Um, so if I know I'm going to go shoot pigs, I don't use soft points, but I tend to use soft points on deer because the way I tend to shoot them that's not that important to me that, you know, because I tend to either if I'm in the right position, I'll neck them and down they go, or I'll, I'll shoot them through the vitals. And generally 
a well-made soft point won't disintegrate through vitals. So that's that's the way I tend to do it. Um, but yeah, then bullet selection is really important. And the other thing that I've noticed with bullet selection, which is really uh, and caliber selection, is another one of these weird spinning tops in this kind of discussion is what environment are you shooting in? So if you are shooting off the back of your truck in a paddock at an animal that you can see at a couple of hundred yards at 300 yards or whatever it is off a, you know, off a rest, your bullet is going, you, your expectations on that bullet is different. If you're hunting friends somewhere like in Victoria or, you know, or, uh, you know, in, in a forest where it's heavy cover You've got a, you know, you've got, you haven't got that perfect sight picture, and you need a different thing for your bullet and for your caliber. So that's really important too. So where you intend to hunt um, has a lot to do with caliber selection as well as obviously what you are hunting. And, you know, as as John I said, a lot of people have shot two um, deer with two, four, three, but a lot of that has been shooting them in paddocks. You know, in open, there it is, there it is, line it up, get comfortable. Recoil's not heavy, you know, this thing flies flat as a dart, you know, pow, down they go. You hunting in that heavy scrub and that deer's moving through the scrub and, you know, you, you're getting fleeting glimpses of it and, okay, there's my shot window and it's not a perfect shot and there's grass hanging up and there's sticks out of the way. That's a different kind of shot that requires a different approach to caliber. Yeah, and I guess, you know, with, an example of that was our recent trip, Mark, to Severn, where we had those goats um, pretty, you know, reasonably close. Mm. Um, but I I didn't have a clear shot of the vitals, and I was not com comfortable for, um, to take that shot um, because, I, you know, the vitals were slightly obstructed. And, and my background has always been you only shoot when you've got a clear shot of the vitals, whereas if you've got a big, heavy, you know, bullet, for instance, you know, a mate of ours shoots a 450 Bushmaster, which he bought specifically so that he can punch through that brush and hit those goats on the other side. It's a different story. So again, you've really got to tailor your bullet, your bullet weight, bullet selection against what you're hunting, how you're hunting. Um, if you're really looking for those pinpoint accuracy, you know, rounds, you know, your, your three or eights with a nice, you know, soft point or polymer tipped or, or something like that is really going to give you that, that, that superb accuracy and, and killing power when you hit that animal. Um, if you're hitting, you know, if you look, if you're hunting ferals in a state forest and you've got lots of brush in front of you, you you're happy to, you know, to punch through and, and punch through some brush with a slightly heavier, slower bullet. So mm. um, it really comes down to you've really got to tailor your caliber, your bullet weight selection against what you're hunting, where you're hunting, uh, and what you're hunting for. Are you trying to recover as much meat as possible? Are you happy to sacrifice a little bit of meat? Um, again, that comes down to, you know, you can go and shoot a, a, a young little fellow doe with a 300 wind mag. Absolutely. You're going to hit it. It's going to fall over. There's not going to be much left left to eat afterwards. So you've really got to tailor it um, and, and think about how you're hunting, what you're hunting, where you're hunting. Yeah, that's it. And it's it's really the, the select the question about caliber and riflers is really quite, you know, it's a series of questions you got to get to. So, for instance, um, I don't own anything. Oh, actually, not true. I just bought a twenty-two. Before that, I didn't know any. I didn't own anything that didn't start with a three. So I don't have a two-four-three or a two-two-three. I have thirty cows, um, and that's and I had two preferred thirty cal. I had what I used to call my state forest gun, which was a, was a Ruger Scout. So short, short action, short barrel. 
bark like a dog, kick like a mule, but 10 shot mag, perfect for hunting state forest. You know, that quick acquisition target. There it is. Got to make a shot. Bang. And I had what was, you know, my deer rifle, which is my custom Tika 3006 traditional deer rifle, traditional deer optics, the whole lot, you know, the, the, the quintessential hunting rifle. Because I was using them generally in different locations to do different things because I had different game animals. Um, so th that's a big part of that, so understanding what they're doing. Um, you ever hunt in state forests, you know, it's very rarely do you get that kind of perfect. perfect per, it's, you know, it's, it's very rarely is it perfection. You've got to actually take the shot. You've got to, and that's where things like being comfortable in your, your, your caliber and your rifle and those, those things are probably more important because ultimately I, I like to think that on top of all this is accuracy. So, you know, everything answers to accuracy. If you can't put that bullet where it's supposed to go, then it doesn't matter how good your bonded round is, how good your optics are, what caliber you're shooting, because a miss is a miss. So it's about that is a big part of it in terms of, so when people ask me what rifle um, they should get, and they often generally mean what caliber so they should, should should they get, to me it comes back to, okay, so what what can you operate? What can you handle? What can you do? That's a, a big part of this. A big part of the question is what can you safely and efficiently operate? Because if you can't operate it, then it doesn't matter what caliber it is. It's, you know, and I've met, unfortunately, a number of people who've made poor decisions when buying firearms and generally they've gone too heavy. And so they're actually uncomfortable with that firearm. And so they can't. So ultimately they don't use it very well. Mm. So that's a big part of this balance question. And I think from for an adult, that's why that seven mil weight i think is is really becoming very popular because it kind of gives you the legs of a hunting rifle but it's it's a little bit easier to handle than it than than a, than a traditional hunting rifle so i think if if someone came to me now and said i want to start hunting state forests i want to start hunting you know uh private land for for deer or goats or pigs or whatever i want i've only got money to buy one rifle what should i buy my recommendation would be a seven mil weight that that would that's the way i'll that's what i'd recommend why because you can buy the lighter bullets it doesn't kick as hard um it's very versatile there's pretty good factory ammunition you know psycho tika they're all you know that that they're available in and those calibers um it's it's a very good it's a very good caliber um that that would be my recommendation i wouldn't say go 30 cal to start with i think if you i think it's going to kick a little bit high people are going to develop a flinch um if you've got a background in shooting and you've shot smaller calibers, then yes, absolutely go for 30 cal. But I really think that's 7 mil weight. Mm. Me personally, is that sweet spot? 270 is, you know, there's a couple of, you know, quintessential calibers. One of them is a 270, the other is a 3030. You know, if you actually want to talk about guns that probably killed more game, it's probably the 3030. You know, mm. that, that gun has. It was the sporting rifle for for you know for for many many years, the typical sporting rifle and you know and I I started with a thirty, my first rifle was a thirty thirty my first sorry my first centerfire rifle, I had an air rifle before that, 
Um, my first centerfire rifle was a 3030, and I, I put it to good use. Um, they they're quite limited in many ways, but they are also like anything. They have their their advantages. Was that they were very easy to handle. They they shoot very. They're quite pleasant. I always thought people used to say they booted like a mule. I always thought they were quite pleasant around, and um, you know up to up to uh, to uh, 150 200 yards, they're, they're freight trains. They mm. kill most things they hit. Um, it's a it, but it's it's kind of fallen out of favour because it is a lever action and it has an inherent problems with its design in terms of velocity. But Hornady have got around that with uh, with that lever at I think it lever evolution am, am, ammunition which gives the 3030 a, a, a closer but not exactly to 308 type of performance but you know that's that's where I started but that necessarily is not right for everyone I think um, you know if you wanted to do the, the progression climb uh, and you're an adult I would think a two to three would be a great place to start that pro progression climb if you've got some experience either previous experience or you, you you're within a group of people and you can get access to firearms and you can go and practice and try for your first purchase yeah um for a bolt action rifle i think the seven millimeter would be a very very good consideration and notwithstanding your point that depending where you are in the country you want to make sure you, you know you, you don't inadvertently um limit yourself on what you can hunt but um it's a very very good caliber Okay, so all things going well, sometime in the next few months, we're going to hop on a plane and head to the Territory. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Are we going to plane? I thought we are driving. Oh, God, yeah, well, my car's got wings. Um, we may drive. Yeah, that's right. We, we, so let me start again. All things being equal, sometime <laughs> in the next few months, we're going to hop in my car and tow the camper <laughs> and all of the podcast equipment and recording gear and rifles to the Territory. Uh, the territory will be home to the game that we are hoping to chase, which is uh, water buffalo. Another game species again above what you know you would be getting a, a, a rifle for um, for deer. You'd, you'd be optioning up for sure chasing big game like buffalo. Um, <clears throat> my only experience chasing buffalo was carrying a fairly large caliber that I can't even remember what it was uh, around um, as someone with a bow and arrow decided he wanted to shoot. And I was the backstop, um, but I'm going to be more prepared this time. I chickened out and went back to the car, which meant he had to. Um, so what what are we considering with calibers then when you move out of deer, you know, or maybe into samba, but you know everything bigger again? You know, you have brumbies and donkeys and camels and buffalo. Let's do some his history first. So probably there's been a hell of a lot of buffalo shot with 308 because that's what the um, the professionals used for a very long time. Um, before that, there was a hell of a lot of them shot with 303s because that's what everyone was using after World War Two. There used to be a guy who used to write in Sporting Shooter who used to shoot them off a motorbike with a short barrel shotgun shooting solids and basically <laughs> tap them in the head, which I thought sounded like a whole lot of fun. Um, and then, of course, you get into the safari calibers. So, and getting, you know, segueing right back to the very beginning, then if you're going to shoot safari calibers, if you're of a British extraction, you'd probably say, well, there's nothing better than a 375 H&H &H Magnum. And if you come from the continent, you're probably talking about a 
9.3 for 62, which is technically a 3.66 caliber. So and in in Africa, the 9.3 by 62 is not legal on dangerous games. So if you were going to go to Africa to shoot Cape Buffalo or an elephant, you would not be allowed legally to use the 9.3 because yet yeah, the minimum caliber is a point three is three seven five. So yeah, sorry, Mark, I was going to. But is that in Africa or is that in uh, English Africa? English that's, colonial that's Africa? An, is that's that everywhere? Well, that, that's in, in, generally in, in Africa, as far as I'm aware, anywhere that allows the hunting okay. of dangerous game is the minimum caliber is a three seven five. Oh, okay. Um, so because that's where the. 62 really got its legs was when the Europeans took it to um, Africa. Correct, but yeah, but any any professional hunter, etc., will say minimum calibers mm. 375. So now Peter Ryan, the writer, mm-hmm. um, said once said to me that the difference between a 375 and I, I hope I'm not misquoting him here, and a 9 9.3 was he said the a 9.3 is simply a 3.75 after a couple of runs. Still the same performance, just a little milder. <laughs> and I think right. there's a lot, there's a lot right. to be said about that. Depends, so, who, depends who's drinking the rum. I thought it was a little right. bit angry. I, I know, he did say a lot of rums. He had a couple. So it's, no, right. that, it's a stage where you're milder, not, yeah. not wilder. So, yeah. So, so they're both, uh, I think, uh, and a and of course, you've got other things like your your your, your wind mags and all those kind of things. Um, but you know, if you were t- talking safari, if you were thought if you thought going to the the Northern Territory was a safari and you wanted to take a safari caliber, you'd probably start either with the three seven five or uh, nine point three by sixty two. So okay. I would I would agree. Um, I think for me, the three seven five holds. Um, you know, it, it, it's the African dangerous game caliber. Mm. You know, so for me to go and shoot a buffalo, yes, it's not a Cape buffalo. I would absolutely love to use a 375. That would be, for me, that's the ultimate rifle. I do own a 458 Win Mag, um, which I bought specifically to hunt buffalo. Um, I've not shot it yet, and I'm actually very scared. You're to scared, shoot. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to wait. I want to see that. I there will be a video that. of this. Um, but I, what, 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 I didn't buy I didn't buy a modern one either. So I've got a Morza K98, which is actually a World War II action. Um, it's open sided. It's got um, the dual trigger, so the front set trigger, and then the the, the, the second hair trigger. And uh, yeah, and four five eight. So I will. Man, I I'll want to see that. <laughs> We're going to take it down the range. We've got a bush range. We'll take it down to so that we can uh, we can let one let one or two rip. <laughs> Did you find ammo? I haven't well, I haven't found any ammo for it yet. That's the oh, biggest challenge. Hard, that's why I, that's why I haven't shot it yet. Um, I think three seven five or nine point three, you'd probably have better luck getting hold of ammunition. Yeah. Um, a five hundred grain bullet um, in the four five eight is gonna is gonna hurt. So um, and the four five eight's got a real reputation of of, of not only shoulders. being a big caliber, but a but a it's a booter. It's a it's a puncher. You know, it's gonna maul yeah. you. Yep, yeah. but I've got it and I'll take it and we'll shoot it off. Yeah, that's right. All right. Okay, that sounds good. I'm not sure we answered too many good questions here. So I think um, you can't you can't go wrong with the 375 in my view. No, uh, if yeah. you if you chase Australian buffalo scrub bulls by 375, if you within one day decide to go and chase 
dangerous game in Africa, you've got the rifle in the safe. Yeah. So yeah. that would be that'd be my recommendation. And look, you could do it with the three oh eight, you could do it with the thirty oh six, you could do it with a three hundred win mag. Any of those calibers will do the job. But it's it's about, you know, again, it's it it's really getting in that what we've spoken about of, of getting the right for the right mix because she might be shooting that buffalo at a relatively close range and it might be amongst pandanus and you know you want to make sure it you know it it flops quick <laughs> you know and they, you don't, and they can if you wind one they can get pretty angry so that's right you yeah, want you don't, to flop you don't quick, need arguments so you, yeah. that's right you want you want to finish the job there is a reason they call that stuff dangerous game and it's not because you know you might you know you might get a speeding ticket it's the fact that something that weighs Two thousand plus pounds might decide to come walk on top of you. Uh, so I would I would always suggest uh, a, it's the opportunity to get yourself a safari rifle. Agreed. And I know I will be doing just that. I will be building a safari rifle to shoot. Um, but the, you know, and if we talk about you know uh, cheaper, so the three seven five H and H is not a cheap rifle in either to purchase or to to feed that's an expensive round um the 375 ruger is a is a good option in that because it's slightly uh it's a cheaper rifle to buy and it's a cheaper round and it will give you again pretty close to same ballistics it'll do pretty much the same thing again once you get into those really heavy bullet weights it won't perform as much but in what you're likely to get the factory ammo it's a good option it's um and for a lefty, it's a good option because often it's harder to get those bigger calibers and left hand. And I know Ruger do make some very nice 375. They actually make a Safari, it's the Safari model in 375 Ruger. It's a very nice rifle. Seiko makes some uh, nice options available in the bigger calibers. So it's uh, if you wanted to get that kind of rifle, then you've got to think about you know who who makes it and where can you get it as well. So. There's a couple of good options there, but anything in those bigger 30 cals is going to serve you very well. And look, you can keep going up from there. You've got oh, you yeah. know, your 477s, you know, 500s, whatever, but. Well, 404, 416 Rigby. So if you want to spend a lot of money, you can buy a 416 Rigby. If you don't want to spend as much money, you can buy a 416 Ruger. Then you get into that and, and, and away you go. Um, and again, if you're right-handed, you've got more options in that space. There's more rifles available. Excellent. Okay, I think we've covered it. Oh yeah, just one thing. I, I'm I'm glad we went back to the start because yeah. I understood the progression better than I did the dive in and try and figure it out mm. version. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right so you only need you only need one round for uh, the Northern Territory, and the backups well, will agreed. do the rest. Oh, that's yeah. it. I'll, I'll wait for you guys to finish it off. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got yours. Uh, Mark's going to build one. I'm going to tap my good friends at Beretta on the shoulder and get something that's suitable and modern and pre-sided and ready to roll. <laughs> and um, we'll head up and go chasing buffalo. That sounds fun. Well, yeah. look, it, it, it depends if I can get ammo for it. Um, otherwise, I might be might have to go for something a bit smaller. But I, I, I would like to shoot a buffalo with it, put a pellet. Well, yeah. here's, here's your opportunity, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, right. we'll keep that's everyone... We put this one together. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep everyone updated as we uh, as we pull that plan together. It's going to be a bit fun. It'll be epic. It'll be great. Um, anything else? The only question I didn't ask was, what makes a, a, a cartridge or a projectile, not a cartridge, a cartridge, what makes the entire fucking bullet 
a magnum? When does it become a magnum? What do you do to a bullet to make it magnum? Oh, God, what a question to end on. <laughs> it's based on its velocity, isn't it? It, it size, Is it? size, casing size. Um, Do Dr. Well, Google. Okay, okay. A big part of this is advertising. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. Good. Okay. So technically, you know, we we tend to think of advertising as new, but they've been advertising stuff for, for hundreds of years. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, some of the antique firearms. Uh, once upon a time, if you wanted your antique firearm to sell, you would stamp London on it. It didn't matter where it was made. If it said London, people went, oh, it's London gun, you know. Magnum is kind of, but not exactly like that. It's a term describing a certain type of caliber that is a, a a bigger, not only a bigger caliber, but a bigger total projectile length. Yep. So, so it, a, a, there a, is actually there is actually an argument that a thirty oh six is a magnum because it's an upgrade of something else. So according to Wikipedia. A magnum cartridge is a firearm cartridge with a larger case size yeah. than or derived from a similar cartridge of the same projectile caliber and case shoulder shape. There you go. So Got technically, more behind the behind the projectile. Correct. So technically, you could yep. argue that a thirty-eight six is a magnum because <laughs> it's an upgraded version of the two seventy. Yeah, basically. So, oh, well, so yeah, you I could argue it was that. far more definitive than that. No, it no. it it was it's a term. So a magnum, so basically it, it means everything's a bit longer. So then you have to have a, and so you have to have a, a magnum action that can feed and, and eject, but it also is, it's going to have higher pressure. So it's got to be a stronger action to take the pressure and so on and so forth. So an example, a prime example of that 270 Winchester short magnum is a yeah. Winchester with a shorter case and it's based on that and it's got more powder and more velocity. So it's a magnum That's right. cartridge. That's right. And it's the difference between a, a 4440 and a 44 Magnum is that basically the 44 Magnum has more grunt than a 4440. Right. It's got a so, supercharger. Yeah. A bit more grunt, but more grunt. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Viagra makes most blokes a Magnum. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's, it's, it, or, or, or. Tom Selleck uh, with Viagra, Magnum <laughs> PI. <laughs> or, 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 or at least the packaging does. <laughs> it might not actually give you any more grunt, but it certainly sounds cool. Right. Right. Okay. All right. On that note, I think we're done with calibers. Um, yeah. Well, we'll uh, uh, well, well, uh, I was going to say, how about we finish on what is each of our favorite caliber bullet weight? And why? And why? Because that, that becomes hard. Mm -hmm. um, Okay, well, I am the uneducated uh, caliber person of the group, and I originally started with a 270 because when I walked into the gun shop and said, mate, I want to hunt deer, they said, and this is the rifle for you. Thank you, <laughs> Peter Lewis. Um, and I used that rifle for a long time. Um, I found the rounds were a little bit more expensive than probably what I would have paid for a 308, but it did the job. And it ticked all of the boxes for clubs and states and territories and all of that sort of stuff. So that was fine. Um, when I decided I wanted to upgrade for Samba, I decided to go for the 7mm Rim Mag. And I am really just bedding that down now. I've only had it for a little while. And that's my current go-to rifle. It's not really a go-to caliber, though. 
it's the go-to rifle. It's got my favorite scope on it. It's got it's basically the package that I've got that I grab off the shelf when I want to go hunting. And I shoot everything from goats to fallow with that. I know it's overgun for it, but it's the one I've got. So I don't have a caliber preference based on the science of you two gentlemen. What about you, John? Me? Um, 308 for me. I find it's a very versatile all-round caliber. Um, I found the 165 grain bullet is perfect for what I like to shoot and how I like to shoot. Um, I can shoot anything from goats to fallow to red deer to pigs. Um, it's legal in all states. As you know, it's probably a little bit light for for samba. Um, mm. You know, if I was going to shoot samba with it, I would probably upgrade to 180 grain um, bullet. But it would absolutely be legal and would certainly take down a, a, a samba. Um, so, but I, I really like the 165 grain. For me, I've had the most success. I found the best. Um, best accuracy, best performance with that 165 grain and 308 for me. It's as I said, it's my third 308. Um, of, and um, I just love it. Mark, here comes the 306. Well, here's the thing. Um, in a way, I'm I'm like you, Ian. Is that uh, it's more about the rifle than the caliber. Mm. So if I was to be honest and say what was my favourite caliber, it would be 12 gauge. And what would be my favourite from 12 gauge would be slugs, closely followed by nine ball buckshot. That'd be my favourite. Um, if I could hunt everything with, if I was brave enough and good enough to hunt everything with slugs and nine ball buckshot, I would do it. Um, which would make a lot of people cringe, but that's why they call buckshot buckshot because it's meant to shoot deer. Um, however, if we're talking about rifle calibres. It would probably be the 3006 over the 308 because it's just got a little bit more um, versatility. Mm. Uh, I generally shoot it in both 3006 and 308 150 grain. I'm a pretty much a 150 grain type of shooter, and I find that that uh, well. I, uh, I mean, I have missed and I've had not all shots have been perfect, but of, of the many game animals I've taken, I've taken the vast majority of them with that, that combination, either a 308 in 150 grain or a 306 in 150 grain. So that'll be it for a rifle caliber. But if we're talking about favourites, it's 12 gauge. That's my favourite. Good one. All right. We'll call that quits. That's a really good overview. I understand more than I did before. Good. Oh, look, in a, we're um, in a roundabout we're, way. We're certainly Ooh, yeah. not, we're not. We're not experts, but um, you know, it's it's good to get everyone's um, personal opinion on on calibers and bullet weights and bullet constructions, and and hopefully that provides you know people who are listening um, with a bit of information that can help them make that you know their their own personal choice. Hmm. Cool. All right. Yep. We'll call that a night. Thanks, fellas. Cool. cool. Good night. Well done. Good one. Catches. Hmm. Oh, I forgot to ask. Why only pansies shoot Creedmoors? <laughs> well, it's a funny thing about Creedmoors.